singing. You want to let them know how much you appreciate that? Indeed, indeed. Um, we have been in a series uh, taking a look at a biblical worldview, and today we are going to take a pause from that to uh, talk about baby Jesus in the manger. And, uh, you know, the songs have been written about baby Jesus in the manger. People have been uh, celebrating Christmas for 2,000 years now. Um, folks sit up when it comes time for Christmas, one of the best holidays, best times of the year. And so makes us ask the question, well, why is that? Why, what is so special about Jesus having come to earth? What is so special about this little baby um, in Mary's arms? And so that's what we want to talk about today. Our text comes from uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11, just one verse. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. These will be familiar words to you. And let's read these words together. Here we go. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Very good. All right, before we get to that verse, I want to do just a little bit of contextual work because we want to be good students of the Bible and understand what's going on around that passage so we can make sure we get what's happening in that passage. So let's go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, and we read there. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That is, that the world should be taxed, because Rome was wanting to count the number of people in each of their regions, and then they could figure out how much tax to assess on each of those regions. And then verse 4 says, And so Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And then verse 5 says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. That is, they were engaged to be married. And it says that Mary was with child. So Mary and Joseph had to go from Nazareth, which was up in the northern territory of Israel, down to Bethlehem, which would have been a, about a two days journey. But you remember, she was on a donkey. Uh, she was about nine months pregnant. And so it probably would have been a very arduous time, very difficult time for them. Verse 6 says, And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and lied him in a, lay him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And verse 10, verse 10 says, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And then we come to our verse, verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we learn three really important things here in verse 11. And so that's what I want to spend the balance of my time talking about, are these three really important things that, we, that are in verse 11. It says, uh, first of all, that we have a promised Savior. The angel says that born to you this day in the city of David. And what is the city of David? Well, we just saw in the context, if we go back to verse 4, it said that the city of David uh, was the town where they were going, and it was the city of Bethlehem. And so what is the city of David? Well, it's the city of, of Bethlehem. It's the place where David himself was born, and that's where Mary and Joseph were going. And why did David have to go to Bethlehem? Well, because verse 4 says it's because he belonged to the house and line of David. Remember, Rome is taking a census, and so all the males had to go back to their hometown. They had to go to the town of their ancestry in order to uh, be counted for this census, for this taxation. Now, you may not know this, that we know that Joseph was from the line of David, but did you also know that Mary 
was also from the line of David herself. In Matthew's gospel, it gives us the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph's line. But then when we get over to Luke's gospel, it gives us the genealogy of Jesus through Mary's bloodline. And what we learn in Matthew's gospel is that Joseph was from the bloodline of Solomon. So David had several sons. One of his sons was Solomon. And so Joseph comes from that particular part of the family tree. But Mary, we learn over in Luke's gospel, actually comes from one of David's other sons, a son by the name of Nathan. So the point here is that both Mary and Joseph were both from the bloodline of David. Now, one, now, this was no coincidence. None of this was an accident. Remember that we said that our Savior was a promised Savior, and His birth in Bethlehem fulfilled two promises from the Old Testament Scriptures. Let me show those to you. The first of the promises is that God would raise up His promised Savior from the bloodline of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, God's talking to David, and he says there, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that is when you die, David, I will raise up from your offspring after you and shall come from him from your own body. Um, and I will establish his kingdom. And then we learn in a couple of verses next that he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And so God repeats this in Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 1. The same promise that God had made to David is repeated over here in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 11. And it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, who was Jesse? Jesse was David's dad. And so from the stump of Jesse, from David, is going to come this bloodline, this promised one. Verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, upon this one that's going to come from the bloodline of David. And the point is that God promised that the Messiah would be a direct descendant of David. The Jewish people knew this back in Jesus' day. Friends, this is not contested information. This is the facts of the matter. And so we've learned here that both Mary and Joseph both were from the bloodline of David, again, fulfilling the scriptures. But there was a second promise that God made about this Savior, and that is that the Messiah would be born in the city of David. Not just that he would come from David's bloodline, but that he would literally geographically come from the place where David himself was born in the city of Bethlehem. Look at the scriptures. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 points this out. Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. In other words, this has been long foretold, that this Messiah is going to come, not only from the bloodline of David, but it's actually going to come from the city of Bethlehem. It's going to be born from that area. Verse, verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, that is, in all of the world. And so God makes this promise that he's going to deliver this Messiah, deliver this coming one from the bloodline of David, and that this Messiah is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Did you know that there are over 30 such promises in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about his life, about his ministry, about his death? about his resurrection, and Jesus fulfills each and every single one of them. Friends, if he had met 29 and not 30, ah, sorry, not the guy we're looking for, but Jesus met each and every one of them, and we see two of those promises fulfilled right here in the story of his birth. The bottom line is that Jesus was our promised Savior. Number two, not only was he a promised Savior, but he was also a personal Savior. Look again at Luke chapter 2. Y'all doing okay? I'm not just rolling right along. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, um, speaking here, for the angel speaking here, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now notice that the angel doesn't say that for unto the cosmos, right, is the Savior born. It doesn't say unto the Roman Empire is the Savior born. No, it says unto you, these shepherds speaking personally to them and speaking personally to you and me, that this Savior has come personally for you, to know you, to save you. Um, that, is its, that is his purpose. 
See, friends, the Lord Jesus came into the world not to be a popular Savior, but rather to be a personal Savior. And he came into the world, therefore, caring about you and me. He came into the world as a Savior, caring about our struggles and our pain and our heartaches. And he was willing to intervene on our behalf. We see that all through the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that wonderful? That the God that we serve is a personal Savior who wants to get down in the mud with you and, and get into your problems with you and get into your struggles with you. He doesn't just bend his ear to hear what you have to say and then move on, but he's concerned and he follows up with you. He wants to know what's going on in your life. You know, when our, little, when our girls were little, uh, they'd be out in the harsh, cruel world, right, at ballet practice or at soccer practice, and somebody would say something ugly to them on the ride home in the car, we'd hear about it, and they were upset about it, and we would console them, and we would nurture them, we'd tell them it's okay. But you know, the world didn't stop spinning because somebody said something mean to them at ballet practice, or because somebody kicked them, you know, hit him with a ball or something like that. The world kept on going. In fact, the rest of the people on the team probably just kept running down the field while they're standing there holding themselves, you know. But the point is, it meant something to Claire and I, because these were our girls. Right? And so we wanted to stop and take time to comfort them and nurture them and tell them that it was going to be okay. You know, God is the same way. That when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through struggles, the world doesn't stop spinning. The world probably just you know, says, well, I'm sorry about that, and then the world moves on. But we have a God who not only bends his ear, but continues to bend his ear and continues to follow up with us and wants to know what's happening in our lives. Friends, we have a personal Savior. It doesn't matter if it's lost keys. doesn't matter if it's you need to get a good parking space at the, at the store. doesn't matter if you're praying about getting your Amazon packages in time for Christmas. It doesn't matter what it is, friends. Our God cares personally about the things that stress us out. Our God cares personally about the things that we struggle with that we care about in our life. Now, there's a third thing that this verse tells us, that not only is Jesus a promised Savior, not only is he a personal Savior, but he's also a powerful Savior. Look again at Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that word Lord is the Greek word kurios. It's a word that's exclusively used throughout the New Testament to refer to Almighty God himself. So we learn here that this little baby that Mary's holding in her arms is not just your typical little newborn, but this is God wrapped in human flesh. I mean, if, our, if this Savior had fulfilled all these promises and cared about you personally, but didn't have the power to do anything about our problems, I mean, what good is he? Just a nice guy who cares about us, but I mean, if you can't help me, if you can't do anything for me, if you're, if you're just powerless, right, then what good is this Savior? But we learn again that this Savior is God wrapped in human flesh. So let's summarize. The verse says, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is a promised Savior who fulfills every aspect of what he was supposed to fulfill from the Old Testament. He's a personal Savior who was born for you, and he's a powerful Savior. He is kurios. He is Lord, the Lord, who can do something about your problems and mine. All right, well, that's our treatment of this topic for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life, right? Um, you know, the Lord Jesus was sent to fulfill a promised, uh, or to fulfill these promises, but he was also sent to fulfill a promised mission. Jesus was on a mission, and so I want to spend the rest of my time here talking about what that mission was. It says Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a what? A Savior. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary, and here's the def- dictionary definition of Savior. It says, someone who saves somebody from something. Very profound, right? <laughs> so the question to us then is, well, what is it then that the Lord Jesus saved us from? I mean, if, if he was supposed to come and save us from something, then what was it that he saved us from? Well, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, first of all, that we have a problem. And it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we all know this deep down in our heart, that we've made mistakes in life, that we have violated God's rules, his standards, his morality for how we're supposed to live. We have rebelled against him. And all it takes is one, right? All it takes is one time. And because of that, sin has entered into our heart and we have become, we have fallen short. You know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible comes from John chapter 8. It's the story of uh, the lady who was brought before the Lord Jesus because she had just been found out to have committed adultery. And so the doctors of the law are there and they've all got stones in their hand and they're waiting for Jesus to give the order to throw the stones and take this lady out. Um, And so the Lord Jesus says, John chapter 8 and verse 7, he says, let him who is without sin among you, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then listen to what happened, verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. You know, I wonder how many of us, just being true to our conscience, would have dropped our stone. I know I would have. Let he who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone? No way. I'm, your, I'm sure you would feel the same. Friends, we all know that we are not perfect. We all know that we've done things wrong. We all know that we are sinners as well. But that leads us to a problem because sin has consequences. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says these words, for the wages of sin, in other words, what you earn for sin is death, is eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. He came to save us from the penalty of sin, which we all admit that we've got. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to these words. Tell us about this. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. But he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. And where did that happen? It happened on the cross. It says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Where did that happen? It happened on the cross. It says that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Where did that happen? It happened, friends, on the cross. The verse continues, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Again, where did that happen? It happened, friends, on the cross. You know, the rest of the Bible reiterates this truth. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Colossians 1 and verse 22 says that Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And where did that happen? happened on the cross in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God in heaven. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Again, where did that happen? It happened 
on the cross. And finally, Jesus himself said, Mark 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, where did that happen, friends? It happened on the cross. Friends, this is the work of Christ on the cross for us. His work on the cross, him dying on for, died for our sins. He took the penalty for us on the cross. He made peace between us and God, the scriptures say, on the cross. He redeemed us to God on the cross. He freed us from our sins on the cross, and that he ransomed us back to God on the cross. This is why Jesus came into the world, to be a savior, to save us from something we could not save ourselves from, namely our sin. Now, where does all this leave us? Well, it depends. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, it leaves you praising God and really understanding what, a, what the meaning of Christmas is all about. That this promised Savior, that this pro personal Savior, that this powerful Savior loved you and me so much that he left his throne in heaven and came here to the earth in the fragile arms of Mary as a fragile little baby on that first Christmas day so that he could then go to the cross and bail us out of the penalty for, from, of our sins. That's who came, a Savior, friends. So when we wake up Christmas morning, let us remember that that's what this time of year is all about. Yes, Jesus is cute, but friends, a Savior has come. Now, I said that where does all this leave us? Well, it depends. You see, it depends. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, then this leaves you needing to fix that problem, to resolve that, that problem of your eternal death. And how do we do that? We do that by coming to the cross, by embracing what Jesus did for us on the cross. Remember what he did. He paid for our sins. He redeemed us back to God. He freed us from our sins. He, he made peace between us and God. And he did all of this on the cross. So we put our faith in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, plus nothing else. Friends, there's no matter of times that you can be baptized that's going to get you into heaven. There's no matter of times that you can share communion that's going to get you into heaven. There's no matter, you can't be bar mitzvahed into heaven. You can't, uh, you know, through, through church attendance won't get you to heaven. You can't take communion to get you to heaven, nor doing good deeds will get you to heaven. Friends, the only thing that saves is the blood of Jesus, right? Amen. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. It's nothing we bring to the table that's going to set us back in a right relationship with God, but it's by God's own mercy. It's the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know, 38 years ago, I realized that I was in great need, and I needed a Savior, that I had a sin problem that Gordon could not fix. And I remember kneeling down at my bedside with my dad. And when I, and I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart, I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And when I got up from that prayer, friends, I was a different person. And I've never been the same since. Literally, life just totally changed for me, completely. Never been the same. Friends, listen, God is aching to save you. He went through all this business of discombobulating the whole world to get his son to be born in Bethlehem went through all of that, had him fulfill all these Old Testament scriptures. He arrived at the cross. He gave his life on the cross. He went through all of that, friends, 
because he is aching to save you. A Savior has come, the Bible says. And so that's what I want to give you the opportunity to do right now, to humble yourself before Almighty God, to admit that you're a sinner, that you have a problem inside of you that you cannot fix, and that you're willing to depend on what Jesus did on the cross as your sole means for gaining access to heaven. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to pray silently where you are seated. Pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this week of Christmas recognizing that I have sinned, that my heart is stained with my actions, and that I have no way of cleaning myself up. Try as hard as I may. I cannot make myself pure like snow. So Jesus, I turn to you now. I turn to the work that you accomplished on the cross. I recognize that you died in my place. That in your body, you took the penalty for my sin. And I ask you now, Jesus, to forgive me to wash my heart clean, to make me whiter than snow. Lord, I trust completely in what you did on my behalf. I put my faith totally in what you did on the cross. And Lord, I know one day now, because I've invited you into my life, and ask you to forgive me of my sin. That Lord, one day, when I leave this earth, I will spend eternity with you in heaven. Most gracious God, we thank you that we can pray. That you bend your ear toward us. That you hear our prayer. That you can accomplish in the realm of the spiritual things, Lord, that we cannot. Lord, as we gather now to... Remember your shed blood and your broken body. We come with grateful hearts. Thankful so much, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thankful so much that you were willing to become Mary's little baby and to move forward from there to the cross. Encourage our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit. Minister to us. Place joy in our heart knowing that heaven will be our eternal home. Lord, we commit this few moments to you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. I invite you now to share in the elements of communion that are there in the seat in front of you, and then we'll close with a time of worship.